Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to episode 45 of the Nope Too Creepy podcast. Since the new year is right around the freaking corner, that means this will be the final episode of 2022. And dear listener, I also want to take this time to announce that the show will be taking a small hiatus at the start of 2023. I'll explain more at the end, but the main reason is that the board game I had on Kickstarter a few months ago will be going live for people to purchase, and I need to prepare everything associated with that. The game, Encounters, is a game about hunting cryptids. You know who else loves hunting cryptids? The four dudes in this first story. Ooh, (laughs) that's a nice transition, huh? Join a group of teenagers who pick a very unique way to ring in the new year. By exploring a haunted hospital. Honestly, that sounds like fun to me. Written by Perplexed Possum, aka Larry the Plague Doc on Reddit. Here is New Year's Fear. This story begins on one of the most anticipated days of 1999, New Year's Eve. For three weeks, my friends and I were planning to go to an old abandoned hospital that was supposedly haunted. We had always wanted to be ghost hunters ever since we first watched Ghostbusters as kids, and now we were finally going to do it. We found a place to buy equipment, such as EMF readers, spirit boxes, and other items of that nature. We had been preparing the whole day. We filled our car up with gas, and at around 8pm, we began driving to the hospital. After a half-hour drive, we arrived. The old hospital stood tall. Its boarded-up windows laid perfect for the vines to encroach upon them. We stepped up to the rusted metal doors, and after trying to open them, we realized, even though this building had been around for decades, the doors were still locked tight. Upon learning this, one of my friends, David, decided to run full speed into the door. Due to the rust on the door, he was able to break it off its hinges. After we entered, we began setting up our, quote, base of operations, which consisted of a couple of old two-person tents, a crank light, and our hunting equipment. This took us about half an hour, and after we finished, we finally started looking for ghosts. One of my other friends, Matthew, and I went to the west wing of the hospital, while the fourth guy, John, went to the east side with David. We planned to head back to our base at 11 so we can celebrate the new century. Not long after entering the old, decrepit hallways of the West Wing, we found a room that was not locked. When we entered, we saw a pentagram on the floor with candles circling it. We also noticed the smell of blood. Not dried blood, but fresh blood. 
Despite all that, being the idiotic teenagers we were, we went in anyway. What we found inside was something that has stuck with me to this day. We found a dead cat. That might not sound so bad at first, but the state of its body was appalling. The arms had hooks driven into them, and its guts were strewed across the ground. I felt a sickening feeling wash over me. After seeing that, we decided to leave the room and do our best not to think about it again. After more searching, we found a locked door. We tried to ram through it, but it wouldn't budge, so we just continued on. Then we heard what sounded like a radio begin to play. I still remember the song. It was playing We'll Meet Again by The Ink Spots. We thought it was strange, but after a few seconds, Matthew began singing along, and I joined in too. It calmed our nerves. At least it did, until it began to get distorted. The distortion began getting louder and louder, becoming almost deafening until my watch's alarm went off. When the alarm went off, the music died down until it was silent. The alarm meant it was time to head back. That's when we noticed almost two hours had just vanished. But foolishly, we paid no mind. Must have just been because of the excitement for the new year, I thought, and we headed back. When we arrived back to the base, we asked John and David if they heard the radio. They replied, no, which we felt was weird, but nevertheless, we weren't going to let that ruin the night. We cracked open the beer cans we brought with us and began to prepare ourselves. When the clock finally read 11.59 p.m., we began to count down. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4. Before we could reach 3, we heard a loud bang come from around the corner. Shit! My friend David shouted. We missed the countdown. We all realized we missed a once-in-a-lifetime event, all because of a sound. After a few minutes of feeling sorry for ourselves, John suddenly remembered about the key he had found while exploring with David. When he said this, Matthew and I looked at each other and remembered the locked door we came across on our side. We told them about it, and we all decided to head back there to see if we could get in. After our walk to the door, John put the key in, and it actually worked. The old metal door creaked open, and we found there was a staircase leading down to a lower level. I don't remember reading about a basement here, David nervously told us. Unfortunately, being the alcohol-fueled idiots we were in the moment, we thought it would be a great idea to head down into the seemingly endless abyss of the stairwell. Matthew went ahead with one of the lights. I was behind him with the EMF reader. 
John had the spirit box, and David had the other light, and a knife which he smuggled onto the trip without our knowledge. Eventually, we reached the bottom, and we were met with the smell of sulfur. It was horrible, but we continued through. It seemed as if the place we were in was new. It didn't have any rust or paint flaking off the walls. We found a door, and when Matthew began opening it, the EMF reader began going off. We freaked out, but for some reason, John turned on the spirit box and said, If you're going to kill us, can you say so? Thankfully, that was left without a response. We decided to enter the room behind the mysterious door. It was some type of an office with multiple desks and chairs. After entering the room, the EMF reader calmed down, and we set up two pencils we brought with us. We put one pencil on the table, thinking that we could try to make the ghosts move them. After a few minutes of nothing happening, one of the pencils actually fell off the table. We each jumped because the table was a completely flat surface. Then, all of a sudden, the room's temperature dropped to the point where we could see our breath. Before we could even acknowledge the cold, the door slammed shut behind us, locking us inside. For protection, we made a makeshift fort out of stacked tables in one of the corners. It was stupid, I know, but again, we were a bunch of drunk teenage idiots who had no idea what we were doing. After about 10 minutes of sitting there, cowering in our table fort, that, looking back, could have easily crushed us if it fell, we all heard a woman's voice. After hearing it, I began to feel a strange sensation. It was a feeling of both comfort and panic. Not long after that, I felt a droplet of liquid land on the back of my neck. I hesitantly looked up, and that's when I saw it. It was the body of what appeared to be a young woman bleeding out of her eyes and mouth. I screamed at the top of my lungs and jumped out of the fort, running towards the door. When my friends looked up, they didn't see anything, but we decided enough was enough. We picked up a table and got a running start into the door, breaking it off its hinges. After freeing ourselves, we began running towards the stairs. Once we reached the stairs, we all saw it. The hanging body of a young woman, once again, bleeding out of her eyes and mouth. We must have not seen it when we went down the stairs, I thought, before trying to push her out of my mind. We quickly moved past the corpse and ran back up the stairs as fast as possible. The entire hospital's temperature had drastically dropped. That didn't matter. We ran straight toward the door and then to the car. When we got in the car, we found that the gas tank was empty and we were stuck out there. It was so bad that David, 
the biggest and bravest dude we knew began crying and breaking down. We knew we had to choose between staying there all night or walking back in the cold. We ended up staying in the car overnight. Thankfully, we made it through the night. As soon as the sun came up, we quickly got our supplies and began walking back. Not long after we began our walk, a car pulled over and offered to help. We got in the car, and when we arrived back home, I called a tow company to get my car. We decided from that day, ghost hunting just wasn't for us. I pray to God, whatever we experienced there was just a result of the alcohol. But every now and then, I get horrible flashbacks to that night, and I can't help but feel as if we will all be getting a visit from that hanging body with the bleeding eyes any day now. I don't know what they're complaining about. They got exactly what they went looking for, right? Exploring haunted places and producing a series of videos is one of my big goals for next year, so I'm kind of jealous, but whatever. Let's hope when I do begin that pursuit, I have better luck than the people in this next story. A young couple celebrating the new year stumble across a grisly crime scene with a written account of exactly what took place, and it turns out to be something they could never be ready for. Written by Reddit user Weird Bryce Guy, sit back and enjoy. A camping trip to celebrate the new year was a terrible idea. My wife and I, after hearing a scream, ventured away from our campsite and headed toward the direction of the sound. After a few minutes of light hiking, we came upon the grounds of a cabin. There was a car parked out front, and beside this were the gruesome shredded remains of a wolf. There were various trails of blood, one of which led from the car and up the porch to the front door of the cabin. The door itself had been partially loosened from its hinges and was leaning inward. The threshold was marked by several scratches, many of them deep. The whole area was like the scene of some crime, a sight of savage butchery. Inside, just beneath the door, we found a body, savagely wounded. The person had obviously been dead for hours. There was a smoldering fire in the fireplace, and beside it was a laptop, its battery nearly dead. Something horrible had obviously happened, so I took the laptop with me back to our campsite and read the document displayed on the screen while my wife reported what we had found to the authorities. Knowing how the local police will react to this, I've decided to upload what I found. I think the person's tragic story deserves to be told, rather than be disregarded and locked away as evidence. Here it is. 
There are people living in the woods who have forfeited their claim to society. People who, for some insane, misanthropic reason, have decided to unshackle themselves from behavioral restraints such as civility, courtesy, and mercy. People who perform atrocious, abominable things in twisted service to some dark woodland spirit. While making a trip to a river near my dad's cabin, where we were going to lodge for the weekend, my friend Tim and I encountered one such person. We saw them conducting some strange rite in an open, moonlit area of the woods, a small clearing from which the nearby trees seemed to be consciously leaning away. The person wretched in all aspects of appearance, wearing only a disgustingly soiled loincloth, was standing in a small, rock-lined hole in the ground, which they filled with what was unmistakably blood. There wasn't any evidence to guess from what animal it had come. Hungry and tired from having spent most of the day exploring the area, Tim and I stood frozen at the entrance to the clearing, unsure what to do. Before we could even think to turn away, the ghoulish person spotted us and let loose a series of incomprehensible words which seemed darkly profane despite their unfamiliarity. Its skin was sallow and molted by blotches and smears of brown and crimson, stains from its obscene acts. I tried to apologize, told them we'd leave them to their business. I used them because it was impossible to tell if they were male or female, but they only cackled maniacally in response and climbed out of the hole. Tim apparently was not as repulsed as I was because he approached them, repeating what I had said. The savage person spouted a few more foul words, and then, without warning or any provocation from Tim, reached for something beneath their loincloth. I hadn't seen anything hanging there before, but when they withdrew their hand, there was a small, round, leathery object, no larger than a baseball. I immediately got bad vibes from it and Tim must have as well, because he turned to me and motioned for me to move away. I did, and beckoned him to follow, but before he could retreat, the crazed person leapt forward, seizing him in a surprisingly powerful hold around the waist, and bit him on the neck. Tim fell down, and the roughly spherical object the deranged person had been holding rolled away. Something about its movement reminded me of something else, but I ignored the thought and went to Tim's aid. The feral thing was attacking him, clawing at his stomach with its savagely long nails, and Tim was repeatedly thrown off balance by the pack still attached to his back. Reaching them, I managed to pull the madman away but not before it dealt a final, debilitating blow to Tim's abdomen. 
Blood spurted from the wound, and Tim's voice became high-pitched and strained. Panicking, I tried to help him, but there was just too much blood, and we foolishly had not brought any of our first aid supplies with us from the car. Capitalizing on my indecision, the feral thing struck me in the head with a black-knuckled fist, and I fell to the ground. I watched, watery-eyed, as he wrapped Tim up in some kind of snare he'd pulled from a cavity in the earth. He worked quickly and had Tim tightly wrapped in only a matter of seconds. Not yet done, the madman reached for the object it had dropped, and after a wicked, gurgled laugh, squeezed it in its palm. There was then a dusty explosion and a wave of heat, and I was lifted and thrown back several feet. As I struggled against disorientation, I heard wicked laughter, darkly triumphant, and then the faint sounds of departing footsteps. In the explosion, one of the pieces of shrapnel from a blasted tree had struck me in the leg, nailing me to the ground. The piece, a large misshapen spike, was partly lodged in my thigh, the rest of it buried deep in the earth. Tim was a few feet away, squirming restlessly in the netting. The homemade bomb's detonation had not harmed him, at least not to any degree that would have inhibited his movement. He snarled and hissed as he struggled to free himself, which in turn caused me to panic, and in my panicking, I only worsened the pain of my leg wound. Blood gushed from my thigh, and I felt a wave of nausea at the sight, and then an alarming sensation of lightheadedness. When some of the dust cleared, I saw why Tim was snarling and hissing, and it was not because of any pain or frustration caused by his ensnarement. Tim's eyes were now red, and his face appeared as ghoulish as the crazed man's. His body trembled uncontrollably, and his limbs jerked around in sudden sporadic bursts. In his struggle, he had opened the wound in his abdomen even more and some of his guts had fallen out in a loose bundle. I could smell them and started to choke from the awful stench. Tim obviously was not Tim anymore. He had been turned into something monstrous by that abominable wood dwelling. Moving only caused more pain and more blood loss, and yet I had to move, because Tim's restraints were coming undone. His sheer undead tirelessness was quickly loosening the knots. In mere seconds, he would be free. With my heart pounding in my chest and tears streaming from my eyes, I grasped the chunk of blackened wood and slowly pulled it from my leg. The pain was indescribable, 
There is no comparable analogy I can think of to accurately express the agony of its grisly unsheathing. When the piece was out, blood started flowing even more profusely, so I gathered a handful of dirt and packed it into the wound. Then I used the leaf as a makeshift bandage, my blood working as an adhesive. It was unsanitary and an invitation for infection, but I didn't have any other option at the time. I don't know if it was the scent of my abundantly fresh blood or the excitation of his binds coming undone, but Tim's activity increased tenfold, and only a moment later, he was free of the vine-like ropes. The sight of him rising to his feet, internal organs hanging loosely from the tear in his shirt, was sufficiently terrifying to induce my own state of hyperactivity. Ignoring the pain in my leg, I scrambled to my feet and hobbled toward the cabin. While behind me, Tim ambled in a horrifyingly inhuman fashion. I didn't bother ducking beneath branches, but plowed through them, certain that if I made any overt maneuvers, I'd collapse and fall prey to my cannibalistically ravenous friend. Thankfully, a wolf, perhaps having scented my blood, came howling from some dark corner of the woods, and the noise briefly distracted Tim. In the absence of his pursuit, I managed to enter the front lawn of the cabin, where I found my backpack lying on the ground by the car, its pouches unzipped. Wasting no time, I was searching for my car keys and found them just where I had left them. There was a commotion in the woods behind me, the details of which were hidden from view by the shadows. I wasn't sure who I hoped was the victor. If it was Tim, it meant that he was stronger than a wild wolf. If it was the wolf, then there might be an undead wolf, which I knew was not something I was able to contend with. Feeling the return of the lightheadedness and the accompanying panic, I quickly limped around the car to the driver's side. I climbed in, shut the door, and inserted the keys. Resisting the desire to take a break now that I was in a, quote, safe space. I turned the key, anticipating the wonderful sound of the ignition starting, but nothing came. Trying again, I was met with the same silence, the same mechanical inactivity. With a groan and another wave of pain, I managed to get out of the car and hobble around to the front. Upon opening the hood, I was met with a startling sight, one that sent my heart plummeting into my stomach. The entire engine was missing. In my absence, someone had removed it. I had my ideas who that someone might have been, but I knew that it no longer mattered. There wasn't anything I could do about it. A feeling of extreme tiredness then hit me, 
and all I wanted to do in that moment was to lie down on the grass and rest. But just then, something stirred the bushes just beyond the lawn. Leaning against the car, I turned toward the source of the sound and saw Tim emerge from the shadows, drenched in blood, with several new gashes on his face, neck, and chest. The wolf had put up a solid fight. In Tim's right hand was the animal's mangled corpse, what was left of it, at least, which he began to drag from the site of their brawl. Looking me in the eye, his bloodshot and full of malice, he tossed the limp carcass toward me, and it landed with a wet thump just a few feet away. The thing looked sickeningly deflated, and I saw a large chunk of its abdomen missing. Tim had fed on the thing after killing it, but apparently he had not been satisfied by the meal, because after an inarticulate and possibly derisive gurgle, he came lunging at me, bloody hands outstretched. Surprising Tim, and even myself, I managed to avoid his grab by pushing away from the car and sending myself falling a good distance away. Tim collided with the car, and I nearly vomited after hearing the wet slap of his entrails against the door. Knowing I wouldn't be able to dodge another one of his attacks, I began crawling toward the door of the cabin, thinking it would be better to lock myself inside rather than go running off aimlessly into the woods. With tears in my eyes, I mounted the porch and reached the front door. Thankfully, I'd left it unlocked, and with the last reserves of my strength, I pushed it open and, using the doorframe, pulled myself inside. Just as I shut the door, Tim came up the porch steps. His body collided ineffectually against the door. He reared back and charged it again, and I remained conscious only long enough to be sure the door would hold. With no strength left in me, I passed out. I awoke a few hours later, feeling no better than before. It was still night outside, and the stenches of death and early decomposition were not only still in the air, but were more prevalent than they were during my flight from Tim. Sitting up, I checked the door and laughed softly to myself at seeing it unlocked. My foot, the one belonging to the punctured leg, had acted as a doorstop through the night. If Tim had been a bit smarter, he could have forced it open by turning the knob and pushing against my enfeebled limb. Still feeling drained, I drew from the reserves of strength that rest had barely replenished and forced myself to a sitting position. From there, I leaned forward and locked the door, then crawled slash pulled myself to the kitchen where I got a bottle of water from the fridge. There was not any food inside, 
There hadn't been a chance to unpack it earlier in the day, so I settled on munching on ice cubes from the freezer. When my thirst was sated, I sat on the kitchen floor and listened, hoping to hear nothing at all. But after a while, I discerned a soft, barely audible sound coming from behind the cabin. The unmistakable, raspy, stuttered breathing of an undead thing waiting for a victim to hunt. Tim had either forgotten about me and assumed some sort of dormant state or was simply waiting for me to leave the cabin. The reason was irrelevant. He was out there and I didn't have enough food and supplies to survive inside the cabin. Now deeply conscious of how much noise I was making, I laboriously made my way into the living room and climbed up on the couch with my water bottle. I cursed myself for leaving my pack outside, but accepted that it was lost. I wasn't going to risk opening the door and grabbing it. Instead, I used what was left of my water to clean out the wound and used some paper towels from the kitchen to redress it. Not much better than the dirt and leaves, and it wasn't pretty to look at, but the skin of my thigh was not, yet, a sickly color, and the only bad smell was the blood-drenched clump of dirt. I found a pack of matches on the mantel above the fireplace. I lit a fire and curled up as close to it as I could without burning myself. As the night deepened, Tim's breathing could be heard with eerie clarity above the night's ambience. Physically, I felt awful. Emotionally, I was anxious and afraid, and I could feel the encroaching depression and dissociation of having witnessed such appalling things. At some point, I must have dozed off, more comfortable than I'd thought beside the fire, because I was suddenly, excruciatingly brought to a state of awareness when my elbow slipped into the flames. I cried out, jerked away from the fire, and fell over onto the floor. The sudden movement sent a monstrous spike of pain through my punctured leg, and I cried out again. This second outburst of pain caught Tim's attention. I heard his breathing undergo a staccato transformation, and then he came charging into the back of the house. There's no door there, only solid brick, and yet his body caused the whole structure to shudder with each collision. As he threw himself at it again and again, he let out a long, inhumanly sustained roar which eventually silenced all the other nightly sounds around him. That started about five minutes ago. He's still going, still throwing himself at the cabin. He's moved around a bit, now attacking the left side, nearest the fireplace. Confident that it would take him a while to reach the front, even if he has any conception of what the front of a building is anymore, I went into the cabin's guest room 
and found my dad's old laptop. There is no Wi-Fi connection here, and the battery only has about 13% remaining on it, but it's enough to at least record what's happened to me. I doubt I'll make it out of here alive, so I guess I should tell my story, and Tim's as well. Hopefully this will be found sometime soon, if I'm not. It's a dark, messed up thing to say, but hopefully Tim's body falls apart within the next few hours. Not for my sake, but for the sake of whoever happens to wander into these parts of the woods. If he can kill a wolf, who knows what he'd be able to do to a person. So, if you're reading this, and it's not after being told to do so by me during an interview on television for being the first person to survive a zombie attack, then I guess be safe out there, wherever you happen to be. Thanks for taking the time to hear my story. I think Tim has made it to the front door of the house. I guess I better go try and brace something against the door. Thank you for joining me in this episode of the Nope Too Creepy podcast. If you're interested in learning more about the authors, links to connect with them can be found in the show notes. I want to remind everyone that the show will be taking a break after this episode. The hiatus will last anywhere between one and three months. I'm hoping to keep it short, but a lot of insanity will be taking place in January, as well as the entire first quarter of the next year. I'll be getting a large shipment of encounters delivered, and my top priority will be sending the game out to everyone who backed it. Then I have to finish setting up the online store, I have to market it, find people to promote it, yada yada yada. And then, eventually, I'll be launching my second board game. So yeah, things are about to get crazy, but I'm excited. In that time, I'll also begin recording stories so I can prepare for the return of the show and avoid missing any upload times. A lot to do, but it can be done, and I look forward to the return. I want to wish everyone a safe, fun, and hydrated New Year. Let's not become another victim of National Hangover Day, people. Drink some water throughout the night, and maybe down a Gatorade before passing out, hopefully, in your own beds. Or, you know, any bed. Just not the floor. Or the gutter. Am I rambling? Yeah, I think so. Sorry, but I'll just miss you all so much. Anyway, thank you to everyone for a great 2022. Until we meet again in 2023, this is your host, Dan David, reminding you all to stay safe out there. I'll be seeing you in the next episode. Nope.